May 11th, 2022. Let's continue, although if you weren't here in the past, you're okay, but to continue a, a theme that we've been developing in the past uh, several classes. Now, as I, again, as I said, if you weren't in the past, you're okay, because I'll quickly, without all the details, catch you up to date in terms of the train of thought and then try to push it forward with regards to how the Torah develops this storyline and this theme uh, as you go along in this life and story of Am Yisrael and Moshe. So it begins as follows for our purposes. It begins in source number one. It's Moshe in one of his initial encounters with, uh, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in which God turns to him and says to him, you need to go to take Am Yisrael out. You need to speak to Paron. Of course, his response, we know his response, Lo ish manochi. I'm not a man of words. I'm kivad peh, I'm kivad lashon. I have a heavy mouth and, and tongue. I'm not able to speak uh, appropriately. And as we discussed and as we uh, developed, it's not only Moshe at this time period who seems to be missing that speech. As Zohar points out, as others develop, Am Yisrael at that time seemed to be lacking speech as well. You look at the Pesukim at the beginning of Sefer Shemot, it describes moaning, groaning, crying, shrieking. It doesn't describe speech. The idea we suggested by means of Maharal in source number two and others is that at the initial stages, this is out my, my words, not Maharal's words, at the initial stages of life, for example, we lack a certain speech. The reason we lack a certain speech is because in, in essence, we still have all potential. At a stage during which I'm yet to develop speech, when it's just a call, I'm so to speak tapping into perhaps the most divine aspect of myself. When a baby cries, when we're able to hear a cry, when we're able to just utter without words, we're able to get across a lot more uh, in terms of potential understanding and meaning than when I break it into words. Along those lines, as we developed and discussed, Harambam, for example, basing himself on the Gemara and Masechet Berachot, says that ideal prayer is contemplative. Speech, already diminishes, it sets limits. It's a davar that I'm creating through my dibur. I've already segmented, I've already limited God and described him as rahum hanun and erich apayim instead of leaving him as this infinite being. Tehila is praised specifically. Harambam says it in the context of prayer in general. He has it not as matarari shona. You're not, you're, you're not fulfilling your mitzvah, even though Harambam's opinion is hirhur kadibur dameh, but that's a concession which in turn translates into halakha. It's not matarari shona as he develops, because matarari shona, ideally, we're connecting, use Kabbalistic terminology, with nishama as opposed to with ruach. Our domain of thought is already more pristine. Maharal along these lines suggests that speech already of our senses is the one that's most physical. It's the one that our mouth has to move as we're doing it. A nose, an ear, eyes don't need to move as they're perceiving and understanding. The mouth is the most physical. It's the most human-like, which means to say as we become more actualized, we become more finite, as we live life and articulate with speech, as we develop, as an unkulu suggests, ruach memalela, our ability to have nefesh hachayim as human beings, nefesh hayim, a spirit of life, is our ability to speak. As human beings, we must speak. We can't comprehend, we can't articulate without speech. However, 
at the same time, it's important to remember, speech is a necessary component of human beings. It's limiting. Whereas in a class two months ago, three months ago, we talked about that enigmatic call. God, so to speak, has a sound with which he imparts his messages to humankind, that Muhammad Harsinai in the Gan and so forth, in the Mishkan. That's the call of God with almost an infinite expression. Human beings need dibur. Am Israel in Egypt were yet to be actualized. They don't have speech. They're not able to articulate. Moshe Rabbeinu, the argument will be, is by definition the human being who is most distant from speech. He's the human being who's most identified with essence in terms of divine essence, as opposed to the coarse and uh, mundane life of human beings. That will be the story of Moshe. What we did point out in the next class, however, and I bring it up two weeks ago class, we then pointed out, but then you get to Ma'amad Harsinai and matters seem to change. As Zohar points out, as the Midrash in source number three point out, it's at Harsinai that Moshe, so to speak, develops words. It's Turad de Sinai, Harsinai in the words of Zohar, at which point Moshe has the ability to speak. Not again, but for the first time, so to speak. Now, that's not to say he was mute beforehand. It's not to say that he didn't speak articulately. It means in terms of his personality, once there's Torah, he's now speaking those words in the, in the reference, in the vantage point of dibur from our perspective of what it means to speak. But why so? How should the Torah be limiting? It's not that it's per se limiting, but it's now speech of truth. So whereas beforehand Moshe needs to leave it, so to speak, outside of speech, now that he taps into truth, as the Pasuk says in source number five, Moshe Yidaber, Moshe is speaking, Elohim Ya'anenu Bekol, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has his call, that enigmatic sound, but Moshe, in getting it across to the people, now breaks it down into dimensions. It reminds me, and I didn't put it on the source sheet, of that Gemara in Masechet Menachot, which talks about those famous last eight Pesukim in the Torah. Ibn Ezra says there are 12, but eight Pesukim in the Torah, the Gemara talks about after the death of Moshe. Who wrote those Pesukim? Of course, there's a Mahloket Tanaim as to who wrote those Pesukim. One of the opinions is, of course Moshe wrote them. Really? But he was dead. No, he wrote them bedema. He wrote them with dalid mem ayin. What does that mean? Throughout the Torah, he writes them. He says it and writes it and so forth. Here he writes it bedema, or he says it bedema maybe is the lashon, and Yehoshua afterwards fixes it up. So what happened? What's dema? Gaon Mivilna famously suggests the interpretation to that Gemara is not tears, as it might appear, dema, but dimua is the lashon of the hachamim. That means a mixture. And so to speak, Moshe's initial iteration of Torah was all mixed up. Not mixed up to him, mixed up to you and me. A world of tohu vavohu, for example, appears to be mixed up, not to God, not to the person who sees in potential all, to me and you who need finite limits. That's the Torah of Moshe. That's the Torah, so to speak, of the Malachim. That's the Moshe Rabbeinu that we know. He needs to, as he speaks to me and you through the Torah, break it into dibur, 
that's the personality of Moshe, and that's where it changes. At Ma'amad Har Sinai, it's where we have Moshe going, in the words of the Midrash, from Lo Ish Devarim Anochi to Eleha Devarim Asher Diber Moshe in Sefer Devarim. He now is a man of speech, but not just a man of speech. He knows that a heki, not at all. It's a man of speech who knows how to speak the words of Torah, taking them from my words, Dimua, which is envision it as just this long string of letters and consonants which somehow come together to create this infinite expression of divinity and break it up so that you understand it in your own life and we're able to interpret it accordingly. That's Ma'amad Har Sinai. That's really what we got up to in different words two weeks ago. 40 years. It's 40 years is Devarim. Year one is Ha'elohim Ya'anenu Bekol, but Moshe Yiddaber. Over the course of 40 years, he is speaking. You're right, the Midrash is specifically, because think about what he comes to. He becomes to an entire book of But he's already, but he's already getting there. The next stage I'd like to set forth for you is how, so to speak, this development of Moshe, as much as we're now excited about it, he actualized it. He brought Am Yisrael from potential to actualization. But then he and they encounter difficulties as a result of the way that he comes to it, as a result of the unique and one-in-existence personality that Moshe had and was. And here's how I'd like to explain it to you. For example, I'll bring it from, initially, we're at the moment of Har Sinai. That's what I got you to. I brought you from Egypt to Har Sinai, where Moshe is now an Ish Dibur. He now is an Ish Dibur, but what sort of Dibur? Dibur of Torah. We're at Ma'amad Har Sinai, and it's Moshe's reminiscence of it in Sefer Devarim, in Devarim Pereke, that's Parashat Vayet Hanan. He remembers, he reminds, you know what happened then? You turned to me. I love these pesukim because they're so rich in meaning. You turned to me and you said, Lama namut. We don't want to die. We're hearing this sound of God. We're really nervous. We're human beings. We're going to die. Instead, you hear it and tell us about it. Moshe was not excited about this. Of course, God tells him, fantastic. They're doing great. If only. It's fantastic. It's all about Yirat Hashem. It's all about their fear and awe of heaven. They got it. Do it. I'll transmit to you. And you in turn tell them, pause for a second and think about what that scene is about. That's a scene in which they say, we're human beings. We can't hear the word of God. We're going to die. You, Moshe, you could handle this. Moshe has become the voice of God. Now, we knew that was coming. We said that's what happens at Har Sinai. But listen to what extent there's a divide we knew was coming as well between himself and the people. He now is the mouthpiece of God quite literally. We don't want to hear it from God. We'd rather instead be comfortable hearing it from you. Stage one of the fracture, of the rupture. Stage two, they finish this dialogue. He speaks to God. He gets the word back to them. The Pisukim tell us something very interesting at the very end here of source number eight. And look at the, the, the second to last line in the middle. Lech, emor lahem, lahem lechem. Says God to Moshe, tell the people, chalas, we're done. The event is over. You received the Torah. I got my words across. We have 40 years to discuss and debate and deliberate. However, right now, go back to your tents. Say the Chachamim and Masechet Shabbat in the next source on Daf Pezai. And you know what that means? 
Go and resume relations with your wives. I told you for three days, no relations. Time to go back. Go to your ohel. Resume regular life. Ve'ata, Moshe, but you, stand with me. Say the rabbis, what does that mean? It means Moshe is being told by God or interpreting, I'm not supposed to resume regular marital relations with my wife. Well, it began with Am Yisrael's understanding that Moshe is separate and distinct. He's the God guy. He's the name of the class, the man of God, the Isha Elohim. It continues with manifesting it. Tell them to go back. But you, Moshe, you're hanging out with me right now. That's already another stage in the distance of Moshe as a leader of the people. It's not to diminish his leadership's qualities, skills, and approach. It's to describe who he is, which is perfect for a nation who needs to receive unprecedented and never to be repeated the word and law and system of God. You need the God guy to do that. That's who Moshe is, and that's his role. But we're quickly realizing how he's distanced in tandem with that role from the people. It continues further in my mind. Source number 10, the end of Parashat Beha'alotecha, his siblings, Aharon and Miriam, in the eyes of the Hachamim, their complaints about him, their famous Lashon about him is, he's married to an Isha Kushit, but not just that. Look at Rashi, interpreting it based on the Gemara. The issue is, he's not sleeping with his wife. He doesn't sleep with his wife, but we stay with our spouses. Of course, they get reprimanded. God says, you don't understand. He's very different. He's pale, pale. I speak directly to him, mouth to mouth. We have that relationship. But Moshe, we're understanding, and everyone around him is understanding, is distant. He's not the same as everyone else. We need him to play this role. We need him to be the giver of the law. We need him to play God for a people who need a human being they can talk to who is that mouthpiece of God. But we're very carefully watching as this leadership role develops, as they make their way through this desert. Why did they make that mistake? What is supposed to You tell me. God tells you Okay. So that's what they thought he, they, Moshe wanted to hear it, so that's why he told him that. Very possible. The, the, the specifics. The that's why this comes back. But all, I gotcha. So the mistake in the doubting. But what I am telling you, Ralph, is yeah. that the circumstance is painted. So whatever the mistake is, the circumstance, the reality is painted clear for us. They're very different than him. They're all prophets, but he is different. He's pale pale. It's nothing we don't know. But it's as we understand his encounter, his relationship with others, we're sensing a distance. We're sensing him. You know who he is? He's the person in the room who marches to the beat of his own drum. And everyone looks at him in awe or at her in awe. And everyone says, wow, look at that person. But that person, as they grow, as they ascend in their self-growth, in their development, they become distant from the other people. They're not able to speak any longer. Not fully clear. I will tell you the Pesukim do tell us a little bit more. It's after the second giving of the Torah. What do I mean by that? The second Luhot. This is all post Luhot number one, right? Luhot number two 
certainly appears as if Moshe is a different person altogether in terms of growth. What do I mean by that? Well, before we get there, I'll tell you what happens before he comes down from first giving. He goes up after first giving, 40 days, 40 nights, and the people freak out. We know the story, Parashat Kitisav, Heta Egel. Listen to the words of the people as they're freaking out, as they're panicking in source number 12. Listen carefully to the words of the people to Aharon. What's their fear? What's their issue with Moshe missing? We want you to craft for us an Elohim. We'll translate that word on another occasion. Who will walk in front of us. Key, because our leader is lost. Moshe Ha'ish. It's Moshe who took us out of Egypt. Then there's why he didn't take you out of Egypt. I just told you that. God is, so to speak, mumbling to himself under his breath. Are you serious? You're talking like that 40 days after I told you I'm the one? And I, so to speak, have in my mind the people saying, did we mess that up? Is it any different? After all, true, we heard that maybe from you, but the rest was from Moshe, who is the extension of you, is he not? To the extent that they now craft the Egel and taking the place of not the true God, but the Moshe being of God, they dance around this Egel and they sing. Here's our Elohim who took us out of Egypt. That's the replacement for Moshe. Moshe is the one who took us out of Egypt. Moshe, the distance is growing to the extent that the people envision Moshe as the same as God. That's unhealthy. That's the it certainly was, which is dangerous. Now, we needed this because how else are you going to take a people wet behind the ears, fresh in freedom, give them a system of true God-given law without a person who really relates to it and is at the top of the mountain. So we needed this, but you're right. They're quickly distancing themselves from him to the extent that they're almost deifying him or maybe have for a moment or two over there. I can't tell you throughout they've deified him. I can't tell you throughout he is. Over here, over here he's, he's synonymous with. I can't tell you throughout the Midbar he is the same status. I can tell you we've sensed the division. It's an ironic, bittersweet moment as we realize here's Moshe. He's risen to greatness in a way that nobody else has or will. And as a result... He lost all his friends, my, my smiling voice. He's lost his leadership ability amongst and amidst the people, if he ever had it. But we, I, no, we didn't, because all of a sudden these people, the second he shows up, everything that they believe in is gone. He doesn't have to say a word, he just shows up. I am telling you he was powerful. I am telling you, I am telling you he was powerful. I am repeating he was a powerful person and leader throughout. I don't know, I actually am convinced that I do know, that he was never the leader who was being midabir. He was never the leader who was breaking down speech and talking to the people. He was talking one thing, true law. That's right. And that never changed. And that will be the issue which dogs Moshe from beginning until end. Of course, as it begins... As it begins, 
Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Give us a little. Absolutely, Moshe fills his role perfectly as a lawgiver, as an Isha Elohim, as a speech of God but he fulfills it almost too perfectly. I'm gonna tell you why. I have the teacher who's a lecturer. They're so articulate. I can't take my eyes off of them. I listen to every word they say. Their words are words of truth, but I walk up to them after the class and I tremble. I watch them in awe as they leave the room. They haven't now in, uh, affected me to then grow into that per se. They've personified the truth. They've brought it forth in an articulate, perfect, divarim fashion. But they haven't been medaber. In... It's a perfect moon to the sun. Okay, but I beg to differ on that because divarim is his slant. The last, the la- I gotcha, Jack. I understand. The last in these classes will be Devarim. You have to bring, you have to hang with me until we get to Devarim, which will not be tonight. But the last in the classes will be Devarim, and you are right, something does in some way or another shift, but we're certainly far from that at this point. At this point, it's all. At this point, it's... It's what? Hod, great. He is the perfect moon who reflects the sun and does nothing else, or alternatively, in the eyes of the people, he's the sun itself, right? To that extent. You go further in this imagery. Second Luchot are given. Elliot Shama and Ray Bra helped me with this point. I've, in their eyes, ruined it, but I'll nonetheless attempt on my own, in my own way. I gave a class on this maybe two, three months, two and a half months ago. It was called, I think, Holding a Piece of Heaven. If you remember the class, great. Some of this will just be reiterating, but now you'll be able to contextualize it as a part of something greater. What happens before what I talked about there is initially after the second Luchot, after Heta Egel, what happens is Moshe, as he's repairing this relationship, he takes his Ohil. This is in Shemot, Perik Lamid Gimal, Pasuk Zayin. He takes his abode. Remind us, the abode was... For that's right, that's what it will be. Generally speaking, it was for Tashmish. That's how we invest. You see it as the place of communion, male and female, husband and wife place. He takes his ohil and he brings it out of the mahane, plants it outside of the encampment of the people. Listen to the imagery again. He takes his tent, puts it outside, already distance. But now, says the Pasuk, anyone who's searching for blank goes there. What's the blank? We're searching for Moshe. I'm going to go nowhere. It's not what the Pasuk says. Anyone who's searching for God goes to the tent of Moshe, which is now known as Ohel Moed, the tent of encounter, not with Moshe. You don't have your meeting with Moshe. You have your meeting with God. So to speak, Moshe has become so associated with this godlike moon, perfect moon of the sun, to the extent that he's the sun himself in the eyes of the people, he's in a different domain. So his speech 
which we thought he was developing, which he did. He got that speech. He got that Dibur Har Sinai, became a speech which is singularly focused on, in our words, emet. Nothing more and nothing less. Yes, Ralph? I was just going to say that the same way you just used, they're going to search for Hashem. That's, That's the Pasuk. Vayakom. So it's the same thing that he tells you throw and throw doesn't, it is wrong. And it's the same breakdown that when they tell Moshe, you speak for us, and says, Kukui Tovah, and the same thing with, with it only, can, in other words, what Ralph is suggesting is this is only continuing what was a simmering issue. I understand, but what I am telling you is there was an issue which was simmering. Now it's simmering in the it's 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 there. It's boiling up. The people might not perceive the issue in it. Moshe might not. It might not be an issue at this point. Okay, maybe, maybe, maybe it's 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 a latent issue. But at this point, I understand. So it's latent. What I can tell you is, in the context of the people's life at this point, this might be, and I believe it is, the leader we need. We need the person who can break this down for us. We can't conceive of this 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 mess of Torah with the full potential, with the God-given aspect of it. We need someone to break it down for us. To the extent that Zohar and Rabbeinu Behaye here in source number 14 suggest Zohar has the famous words in source number 15 of Ra'aya Mehimna here in Parashat Pinehas, but it's Rabbeinu Behaye as well. I did a, a search of this to find this sourcing. I don't remember. I remember where I read it. I don't have the book accessible any longer, but there's a well-known rabbinic expression, and it is, Shechina Medaberet Mitoch Gerono Shel Moshe, that God is speaking from the throat of Moshe. So I wanted to find the sourcing. These are the sourcing that is given to it. It's used often. There's a midrash that uses a similar wording, but listen to the words again. The indwelling of God is coming out. It's almost like, you know, I remember when I was younger, there was this dibuk situation. Remember the video, the tape of the dibuk? You guys were too young, but this, this was the exorcist. Right? That was a big deal. And you have, so to speak, of course, it was proven this one to be fake, but you have a spirit speaking from within a woman. That's what's happening in Moshe. It's almost as if he's possessed by God. It's his bedmate in Ohil Moed. It is who Moshe is. I mean, there's no separating him. And to the extent further that as Moshe comes down from Har Sinai with the second Luchot, the people see him and they panic. They can't look at his face. Karan Orpanav, the, the skin of his face is beaming light. They distance themselves from him, which of course, and we pointed this out in that class a few months ago, is so similar to the description of Moshe asking God, show me your face right there in Parashat Kitisa. Says, says God to Moshe, you can't see me. If you see me, you die. As a result, you could only see my behind. The people can't look at the face of Moshe, just like Moshe can't look at the face of God. The people have to distance themselves from Har Sinai in the first giving, just like the people now have to distance themselves from Moshe. Yes? Give me a few minutes, Rick. Give me a few minutes. Give me, give, give me a few minutes. Let's figure it out. Thank you, Maimonides. But give me a few minutes before we get there. I have just one last point on this before we 
walk into your point, Ricky. In source number 19, it's the Midrash, which we mentioned in that class as well. The Midrash points out that at the end of the Torah, as the name of our class is, the man of God, Moshe is referred to as Isha Elohim, Moshe, Isha Elohim, Lifne Moto. The description is, he emerges from Har Sinai in the eyes of the Chachamim as an Isha Elohim. He goes in just as an Ish, Moshe Ha'ish Lo Yada'anu Mehayalo, after the second Luchot, he's become so entangled with divinity to the extent that he's not a god. He's not divine, but he's so distanced from the people, his way of life, his, his, his perspective, his essence, his character has become one of Elokim. That's who he is. To the extent that, again, very appropriate for these people. They might want it, but the question is, over the course of 40 years, is that still second generation people an appropriate role? What do I mean by that? I mean the following. Put us back in that classroom. I'm making this up on the spot. Put us back in that classroom. You started, you needed to impart the information to these students. You have to get across. You need the lecturer to be the expert at transmitting truth to them. You don't want someone who doesn't know all the information. You don't want someone who's too creative in his own capacities. You need the person who stands in the front and gives the principles, the fundamentals. It is physics 101. I'm going to... I'm saying that's what he is. That's what he is. He's only speaking truth. That's it. But that's, that's what he's supposed that's to be doing. We could discuss. I don't know. I, I don't know where you see that. You begin as such, as, as the students grow, as the students grow, as they're no longer freshmen, as they've developed themselves, as they get the system, as they're a part of it. Who are we dealing with now? as the leader, who do you want in front of the room? You no longer, in my opinion, are searching for the pedagogue who's now able to get across information of truth. You now want someone who's speaking to them, encouraging them to develop their own ideas, to understand this through their own prism. He encourages, he embraces, and he develops creativity in them. He tells them, Here's how you can reach this position. He puts them on the path of understanding things differently, even within a context of truth. That's what you want, in my opinion, once you pass the elementary stages. Here we are, year 40. We're at, we're in Parashat Hukat, Ricky. The people are complaining. There's an issue. There's no water. You're kidding me. It's deja vu all over again. We started the Midbar this way. Year one, right out of Egypt. We stopped in a place called Refidim. That's in Shemot Perek Yodzain. And there's no water. God turns to Moshe there. Moshe, what I want you to do is to take a staff. Walk up to the stone and the rock in front of the people and strike it. Bring forth for them water. Year one. Year 40. Moshe... I want you to take a staff. I want you to walk in front of that rock and to speak le'enehim. We will come back to that imagery in a second. Something changed. 
There's a shift in the command of God. Year one, Moshe, play the God role. Play the judge role. What is the right thing to take place over here? Get water to the people. Stand in front of the class and speak truth. Arbit as a law person, as a lawgiver, what it is supposed to be. They need water, take a staff of strength, strike it, play the God role over here, be the human being who's playing that role, and give them the water. Year 40, deja vu. Not the same people, though. Looking into those eyes, they look similar. Reminiscence. Uh, there's something similar in that one, the same twinkle. I remember his father. I knew her mother. But they're not the same people any longer. These are the people who were put to death, excuse me, put to sleep with lullabies about truth. These are people whose parents told them about Mama Dar Sinai. These are people whose DNA is altogether different than the first generation. These are people who now have been taught Physics 101 when they were in ninth grade. They didn't need to get it in, in, in college. They're ready for the next stage. So we'll do this all over again, Moshe. And this time, Moshe, speak. This time, speak to them and speak in front of the rock. Be able to explain to them how we attack these situations, how we deal with this, instead of, because we won't be in this desert much longer, instead of the direct involvement that I've had, instead of the words of Nitziv, instead of the world of man which you've had until now, you'll no longer be getting food from heaven into your mouth. You'll have to fend for yourself. Instead of you, Moshe, standing at the top of the mountain with your arms outstretched and victory at war against Amalek in year one, they'll have to fight in combat. They'll have to, to work on this on their own. When there's no water, Moshe, they'll need to know how to talk to me, to one another. You need to now talk to them within the context of truth. You need to teach them as human beings how to encounter difficulties, how to overcome, how to develop relationships. Is Moshe, I'm saying it's a Different. Uh, let's say it's different. You said when well, he hit the rock, he was gone. You told me if you said I speak to the rock, and I think he's gone. I, I didn't say that. So it's certain. Because, the because they looked at him as I'll rock. explain to you why. It's direct. And what speaking to a rock is not direct. Speech. It's just not you may, might remember we began this class by talking about how speech is indirect. You, saying, why would I think it's less godlike if he speaks to a rock? Because. Unless miraculous. I will use your terminology to answer. God, I will answer with your terminology. God is beyond process. As a result, it's immediate, it's all there. That's the striking. Human beings have to exert process, have to develop process. That's called speech. This is human-like. It's still miraculous. It might so be a greater miracle. Like the first and not on the second. I just told you. Immediate outcome is godlike. That's different. You spoke in order to get an outcome. That was called process so and outcome. An outcome. No, hitting is immediate. There's no yeah. process. It's immediate. All right, we'll have to agree to disagree. However, it, it, you're getting caught on a detail anyway, yes. but regardless, yes. it won't. I stand by that. Yes, Ricky. So why is the Moshe what do you mean? He spoke over there. His speech was speech of Torah, of Emet. 
That's it, nothing more and nothing less. He's not speaking to the people conversationally and developing of their own understanding and relationship. It's speech of God. The call is translated into dibur, nothing more and nothing less, to the extent that he does that throughout the desert. Devarim is different, perhaps, but throughout the desert he is shechinah medaberet mitoch gerono shel Moshe. Did God tell him what words to say? God says, speak. No, but it still seems something that's speech. Nobody's taking God out of it. A relationship with God is God-like as well. Miraculous, it still is. It's however a human... That's the words. Now, that being the case, here's the next stage in this. Why take a staff? God tells him to take his mate. Mate has represented for us, for Moshe throughout, the God, you're not going to like my words, but that's okay with me, the God direct outcome. Moshe takes his staff in Egypt, strikes the Nile. It happens. He takes his staff, raises it over Yamsuf, maybe even strikes it, according to Ramban, and something changes. In the words of the Midrash, on the, on the Mateh, Shem HaMeforash is God's name. The Mateh of Moshe is strength, is immediate action. This is how it is supposed to be. This is how it will be. No engagement necessary beyond striking with a staff. God. Mixed messages. You turn to Moshe, you told him to take his staff, but you told him to speak. That's a little misleading. Ramban, Nahmani, as a result, rejects Rashi's interpretation, the Hachamim's interpretation, to the wrongdoing or what goes wrong better yet at this episode. It's not because he struck as opposed to speech, says Ramban. Otherwise, why would God have told him to take his staff? Hiskuni and Rashbam, however, has the following very clever interpretation. It goes as follows. The Pasuk does not say that Moshe just takes his mateh. The Pasuk, if you read carefully here in source number 20, the Pasuk says uh, in the second line, Vaikachet Moshe et milifne Adonai ka'asher sivahu. Moshe takes his staff from in front of God as he was commanded. In front of God. So I know you'll say, oh, Rabbi, you told us already that Ohil Moed became God's place. Come on, that's not what it means. It means milifne Hashem. It means from the Mishkan. His mate was in the Mishkan. A step further. What is Moshe's significant but odd words to the people before he strikes the, the rock? He says to them, Shim'una Hamorim. Listen up, you rebellious ones. I know, he uses interesting words throughout. Hamorim, though, if you're within the prox... If you're within the pro- I know, Maimonides. I know, Mr. Harambam. It might, it might. But, gi- but give me a second. No, it might, it might. But you're saying because that defies relation? Okay, good. I got it, I got it. But, what, no, but that's a flaw. Here, here it's not a flaw. Here it's a reality, according to this approach. So, so uh, more than anything, the word hamorim, if you go just three chapters back to Bimidbar Perik Yodzayim, to Parashat Korah, 
There's a different mate that's mentioned there. It's at the end of the rebellion of Korah. It's one of the signs of the true chosen one of Aharon. Aharon's mate is taken. And together with many other staffs that surround it, 11 of them, Aharon's staff is poreach perach, and it's shoked shekedim. It blossoms, it flowers. Oh, that's interesting already. Now, why do I say that this brings us back to there? What, what is to be done with that mate, says the Pasuk in source number 21? God says to Moshe, take that mate, place it, lifne Hashem, of course, in the Mishkan, and it will be leot libne meri. Meri, shimuna hamorim. It will be the sign for the rebellious ones in the future. That's the mate that Moshe was to take over here. Not his mate, not the mate of Moshe, which is the direct, godlike intervention immediate. That's Chizkuni and Rashbam. It's rather Aharon's mate. And what is Aharon's mate after all? Aharon's mate is a sign. Aharon's mate is peaceful. Aharon's mate speaks to the people. Nice. Of course, and, uh, Jack. We're getting, we're getting, we're getting to that literally in a moment. So the moment of truth is take the mate of Aharon, the mate of Aharon, which was Libne Meri. Moshe stands in front of the people. He says the right words. Shimuna Hamorim. You got it right, Moshe. We might have this right. And then he takes the staff, which was supposed to be speaking to the people, not literally, but it was supposed to be Moshe, Aharon's staff, not Moshe's staff, the one which teaches people how to talk, the one which pe- teaches people a relationship, which understands boundaries, guidelines, through that mate, and he strikes with it, Moshe, that was not your sin from which, or because of which you don't enter the land. That was symbolic of why you're not the right person for this generation. That was so appropriate year one. Year one, you were the mouthpiece of God. You still are. But these people are past Physics 101. These people are up to developed physics. They're now out in the real world. They're going to enter in. No, has shalom. They are ready for a direction outside of the miraculous God-feeding-them interaction. They're ready for a mature relationship as opposed to an adolescent one in which it's being fed to them directly without process. Like that? Sure, sure, I parallel. To the extent that I bring you back to who Moshe and Aharon were, who are these Moshe and Aharon? We began the class and we said Moshe turns to God and he says to him, I'm not a man of speech. God's response to him, of course, is, Aharon Achicha, Yehyeh You'll speak to your brother. Your brother will speak to people. Aharon's staff, Aharon's personality is the one that Moshe, if you're ready for the future leadership, you're that. But that's not who you are. Moshe, we know from the beginning, before his lack of speech, quote unquote, is developed, we know the first thing he says in the words of the Torah. He comes out from that palace, from that uh, house of Paro, and he finds on the second day, Two Anashim Ivrim Nitzim, they're fighting. And what is the Aharon reaction beforehand? What would Aharon do in that situation? The Gemara tells us, the Midrash tells us. Aharon would turn to them and say, Gentlemen, 
Let's figure out what's going on over here. Can we find the compromise? Moshe's gut, uh, gut reaction, his instinctive approach to this is, Rasha, you wicked one. But not wicked one, he's putting him down. Rasha, in the words of the Torah, is a designation of determination in deen. It's a judgment. Uh, he learns this one and says, you're guilty. Your hand is outstretched. You're the guilty one. That's Moshe. Moshe is, in the words of the Gemara, Masechet Sanhedrin, Yikov Hadin Etahar, law for him in that godlike, non-process, inhumane fashion. Take law and let it puncture the mountain. This is truth. This is what it will be. That's so Moshe. Okay, okay, just give me a second. Ten steps ahead of me. I mean, you know, but anyway, but what I will tell you is that Moshe in this circumstance is only continuing who we knew he was. Moshe is that dean. Who's Aharon in contrast? The Gemara says Aharon is the embodiment. He's the personality who embraces compromise. It's the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin. It's the Midrash in source number 29, Navoter Binatan, explaining the Mishnah in Perkei Avot. Hillel used to say you should be like Aharon. You should be a student of Aharon. You should be Ohev Shalom, Verodev Shalom. The opportunity to be like Aharon, says the Midrash, is to speak to people. There's a fight, there's a dispute between them. To walk to one of them and say, you know what he said about you? Such positive things. Say to the other one, a white lie, you know what he said about you? Positive things. Instead of leaving it as a dispute, which you determine, he's the Rasha and the other is the Sadiq, you've brought them together through speech, human, interaction. Moshe's job after year one in the development in this enigmatic domain known as none other than the Midbar, the place where we were to grow into Midaberim, Milashon Midbar, was the opportunity that his brother Aharon, ironically, was more cut out for. In fact, in the Lashon of the Torah, in many places, Unkelus translates taking as Davar. That's the translation, for example, by Korah, by Ikah Korah. It's speech. Speech has the way of interacting with people. Moshe never becomes that speech leader. Moshe, from beginning until end, is the leader who leads with his staff, who plays that role of Isha Elohim. As a result, turns God to Moshe and says, you're not the leader of this generation. So with lower waters and if you say so, yes. Another, all other terminology, but just leave it in this terminology for now. That's just confusing for others. But yes, ultimately speaking, bringing us full circle. Moshe, who starts his career and life as the one who not has a deficiency, but has this reality of not being an ish devarim, for all intents and purposes, is told, you're not leading these people in because you're still not an ish devarim. You are an isha Elohim. What do you mean? That takes away from my status? Not from your status, but that's not the leadership we're looking for in this generation. So you might ask, and it's an appropriate question, I'm not fully developed on this one, so then why doesn't Aharon lead them in? Aharon appears to me, this is an unbaked thought, is the opposite extreme. Aharon is the one who listens to them so much that in the absence of Moshe, as they turn to Aharon, Aharon says, all right, let's talk about this. All right, guys, maybe if you bring me your nizamim, maybe if you bring me your jewelry, we can figure something out. And Moshe, reminiscing, remembering that in Sefer Devarim, says, God was hitanef, hitanaf. He gets angry at Aharon for that and wanted to destroy him. 
Aharon is, so to speak, on the other end of the spectrum. That is, in my mind, the direction that the Torah leads us in as we understand and develop the life of Moshe and of Am Yisrael. To put it in a few sentences, briefly and succinctly, it goes as follows. The lesson first. The lesson, for more, for, for, for more than anything else, the lesson of this class, the lesson to be learned from the life of Moshe, is not, don't be like Moshe. Certainly not. It is, however, to understand what it means to be a human leader in this world. And a human leader in this world means having moments of Yikov I mean, having moments in which that speech, that process is inappropriate. There are those situations in which you have to stand up for truth to the extent that you'll lose all your friends. But this is the way it needs to be. And you know that any conversation about this discussion, development, relationship is only going to take away. But those are far and in between. More often than not, the interactions, the relationships we have with people is not in which we're bringing law from God down to them. We're rather needing to interact with them. We're rather needing to play that game of life, to talk to them, to have the conversation. But why should I be wasting my time talking to him? He doesn't understand. I should rather instead just show him. But if you just show him, you define the purpose of this engagement. This situation was one in which you could move things forward. You instead kept them static by just showing and doing. That was the Moshe for these people in year 40. Moshe begins his career, his life, as I was saying, as a non-ishtevarim. He develops dibur at Muhammad Sinai Reki, as the Midrash, as the Zohar tell us. But that dibur is nonetheless quote-unquote stunted only from the human perspective, because it's a dibur which is strictly and only and pristinely godlike. And as a result, Moshe's ultimate, not failure, not even shortcoming, but reality is, 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 is shown to all at Chetme Meriva. Instead of speaking, he strikes. Well, Instead of. He wasn't able to do both. It's a reality. I'm not, I, it's, shortcoming means, so to speak, he could have and should have developed into it. I don't know that that could have been expected of Moshe. But he did it twice. Why it's not? so to speak, diminishing himself. Another opinion. We're on a different angle. We're developing That's Rashi's approach here. over here. What's that? It's part of being a particular leader. This is not diminishing the teacher of Physics 101. This is saying teacher of physics 101, the teacher of Aleph Bet could have been your most greatest teacher and, and, and wisest teacher. It's a different personality. The leader of the people in the land and the real world is a different personality. So it determines he's a different type of leader. It doesn't determine that he's not a great leader and he wasn't the greatest leader for those people during that generation. Oh, I think he would. Oh, I think he would, just like God, would ask us not to eat of the Eitz Hadat, even though we were going to, if you see the smile on my face as I say that. In other words, this needed to be exposed to all. This was, this is the way history and the existence of human beings is. God isn't going to cut it. He's going to develop it. He's going to let it be exposed, just like any and all. Absolutely. And that, in turn, brings us to the name of the class again, the man of God, 
the enigmatic, ironic reality of this personality, Moshe. This character which Harambam counts as one of the Ikare Emuna, the Yisodot of Judaism, is that he was the greatest leader, that he was the best of prophets, and nobody can or should deny those. That's not the point here. The point is alternatively to understand that for these people, in the ironic sense, they needed a person, quote unquote, cut from a different fabric. The man of God could not be their leader any longer. The man of the people instead needed to be. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen.